0: Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston.
1: If you want to get someone's attention, just tell them a great story. If you want to inspire someone, share your success story. And that's what this series is all about. I believe that successful women think differently. And by the end of this episode, I hope you will agree. The woman you are about to meet has spent years doing research on confidence. Once the chief marketing officer for seven tech companies and serving as the CEO for an international marketing firm, she started to ask herself why some people and certain brands have more confidence and therefore more success than others. She decided to look to neuroscience for the answer and she co-founded the American Confidence Institute. She has authored six books, including her latest, I love this title, wait for it, Kick-Ass Confidence, Own Your Brain and Up Your Game. What she has learned will astound you and just might help you find your confidence and your success. Her name is Alyssa DeVere, and this is her story. Welcome to the show.
2: Oh, Candy, I'm so gracious to be here. I'm so happy.
1: (laughs) Let's start out by focusing on confidence and what it is and what it is not.
2: Oh, gosh. Well, the very simple answer, because this is a a question if you ask 10 people, you get 10 different answers, right? So the simple answer from a definitional standpoint at the Institute is that when you're certain enough about who you are and what you need, And if you think about that, you act in accordance to that, this is who I am, this is who I want to be, and what I need, you're very confident. But it manifests in all kinds of wonky ways, as you know. So the opposite of confidence, people think, oh, it's insecurity, right? That would be the logical thing. But I would say to you, Candy, I'm sure you and I both, over cocktails, would admit all the things (laughs) that we don't feel secure about doesn't mean that we're not confident people right? In my vernacular, the opposite of confidence is not confident. And the true opposite is guilt. Wow.
1: Guilt. Okay. Well, tell me why that word. Why guilt?
2: Well, it's a little bit of a, you were like, what? What?" (laughs) If you're around somebody who makes you act in a way that doesn't make you feel comfortable, inauthentic, or you react or respond in a way and later you go, oh, That is the opposite of confident, right? You don't feel that you're acting in accordance to who you really want to be. So, you know, it's an interesting way. It kind of blows people's brains a little bit. But, you know, if I asked you if you were confident about, for example, the weather today, it happens to be not such a pleasant hair day, right? It's yucky out. Yeah, you
1: and I are both talking about how this is not a good hair day for us. That's why I'm tying mine right up.
2: Needless to say, if I said to you, do you think it's going to rain tonight? You would start to conjure, like, with your experience, your knowledge, if you read the news today, all this stuff, and you would come up with an answer whether you're certain enough it's going to rain. Right. So that when you reflect about what's confidence about yourself as a person, again, it's the boundaries are certain enough that I'm acting in accordance to who I want to be and what I need.
1: You say that in terms of confidence, we are not born with it. It is something we must choose.
2: Oh, you must choose it. And we learn to be confident. There is scientific evidence. There's some great books on this that it is not in your DNA. And you can't blame your parents for giving it to you or not giving it to you because we learn to be confident, just like we learn anything else in life. So it is a choice. It's actually a thought. You decide if you're confident about something or not.
1: Your research at the American Confidence Institute has also taught you a lot about our brains at different times in our lives. Can you talk about that?
2: There's so much burgeoning research now in this area of neuroplasticity, which is this very big word that the neuroscience community likes to use that describes what happens to your brain anytime it physically changes. So in other words, you learn something new, you push yourself out of your comfort zone, and you create new neural pathways. And now they know absolutely, without a doubt, that your brain is plastic your entire life. So we used to say, you know, oh, it's much easier to learn stuff when you're young. Well, it may be a little easier because of our attitudes but in terms of your brain capacity you can learn things and change your brain straight through your 80s into your 90s and they know that for sure now
1: what is it about the age of 60
2: (laughs) you've been watching my stuff i love this you know usually i stump people with this question which is you know what when does your confidence peak as a as an individual men and women and when we did our studies, um, our very first studies, I, I was so depressed over this because the reality was this. We knew that confidence kind of dipped in our when we're 16, in our middle teens. But the question was, when does it finally come back to its height? You know, when you're little, and you're four, if you hang around with little kids, you go, know, I'm going to wear whatever I want to wear because they're yeah. very confident. So yeah. when do we get to that level? And the answer, as you said, is 60, 6 Wow.
1: Is that a magical time because your brain has experienced enough over time to learn confidence? How does that ha- I mean, <laughs> help me.
2: I'm giggling because you're going to fall off your chair when I tell you the real answer. Anyone who's 60 will, is probably smiling ear to ear because they know the answer, which is when we went back and we asked all the 60-plus-year-olds why their confidence was so high, it was Completely consistent. The answer was because we don't care about other people's <laughs> opinions anymore. So
1: you're not self-conscious anymore. You're not looking at yourself like, "Is my hair okay? Am I am I successful right. enough?" It's like, ah, forget about it. Here's how it goes. That's
2: right. And I, you know, I am who I am. Take it or leave it. So that's when the confidence finally gets back to itself. Now think about the definition, though. If you're acting according to who you want to be and what you need and want, you're going to feel confident. At that point, you're like, this is who I am. I've developed over 60 years. It's, it's what it is.
1: I think I read in my research, too, that 26,
2: 27 is also a powerful age. It's not just a powerful age. It literally is the time that the brain is fully developed. And in particular, the prefrontal cortex is right behind your forehead. And that part of the brain is where all the good stuff is, so to speak. Your analysis, rationalization, your ability to, to feel confident, to decide confident things. But it doesn't fully develop till you're 26. So here's the thing. Remember when you were like in your teens? No wonder
1: I shouldn't have gotten married when I was 21 <laughs> and it didn't work out very well. Well,
2: you know what? Think about it. You yeah. make a lot of emotional decisions as a teenager. I have two teenagers' sons myself. And, you know, I just watch the way they operate. And I have to keep reminding myself it's because they don't have the tools. Toolkit yet, there. They don't literally have the brain mass to make good, logical, rational decisions yet.
1: Neuroscience research is showing that mindfulness really does matter. What happens to our brains when we do yoga, when we meditate, when we practice mindfulness?
2: Well, mindfulness is a synonym really for awareness. So if you're aware of, again, who you are, who you want to be, all that stuff I said earlier, but also what's going on around you, I, you know, one of the most powerful and very, very simple things you can do when somebody's rattling your confidence. You know, maybe not deliberately, maybe you're in a room and they're acting like smartest person in the universe, right? You do something called labeling. You put it into your brain, you just call it something. And if you've ever taken bully training or any of these, how do you deal with these difficult people and personalities, this technique of labeling is a way of putting it into your brain, but it's a mindfulness technique, if you will. So it's not necessarily sitting with your legs around your neck, going on. It's literally (laughs) paying attention to what's going on. Now, I gotta share this with you, because this is another one of those things that people fall off their chair, they go, what? I actually did yoga this morning, very proud of that. I love yoga because it brings together all these concepts. Do you do yoga yourself?
1: No, I swim every day, though. And Uh, so that's my own mind. That's your Zen. Okay. but
2: in yoga and martial arts and a lot of these and you're probably familiar with, they always say breathe. right? Right. And pay attention to your breath. Now, the reality without giving a total brain lecture here in this short time that we have is that when you take control of a function in your body that's you don't normally think about. It's called an autonomic function. You don't think about your heart beating. You don't think about breathing. But when you take control of it and you're thinking about it, you actually put that into the front part of your brain, into your prefrontal cortex, and you're in control. You've taken control of your brain. You've taken control of your body. Very, very powerful. So what's the result? All of a sudden, not only can you think a little clearer because you're in control in that area of your brain, but you're not so as I say, wigged out, freaked out about all the other stuff that's going on socially or emotionally going on in that room or whatever the situation is, you've taken control of your thoughts and your process. And and in that respect, you're confident.
1: I also know that if you do something called belly breathing for a couple of minutes, that you will automatically lower your cortisol and raise your endorphins. And that speaks to what you're talking about as well. Same thing.
2: It does. You know, Amy Cuddy, one of our own in our backyard, right? Power Pose, TED Talk number two in the universe. Awesome woman. Love her research. But of course, people keep trying to replicate and having issues. And that's her basic premise, is based on the way you stand and sit and breathe and all this. You're going to invoke the good uh, neurotransmitters, make you kind of psyched and happy and calm and all that. And then Suppress the ones that stress you out. Regardless if it's true or not, just that act of doing something like that, again, it's bringing that conscientiousness of an autonomic function into the front of your brain. So you've taken control of everything else in, in your brain and in your body.
1: You had a very personal reason for diving into neuroscience. One of your sons had a neurological condition. Can you tell us a little bit about it and also give us an update? How's he doing?
0: Please support our sponsors, they make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of Tech Help Boston, with the reasons why. It's really about forging a relationship and having a trusting relationship because your technology is very personal to you. It used to be in the old days that things were private. When you're online, nothing is private anymore. And we want to make sure that that information is kept confidential and with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable with. You can trust Tech Boston. To keep your computer and systems running right, call 781-484-1265 or visit techhelpboston.com. That's techhelpboston.com.
2: Well, first of all, he's doing great. So thank you for for asking. He's now 19. The short story is when he was eight, he was diagnosed with a very serious neurological uh, condition called dystonia. And dystonia affects hundreds of thousands of people. It's often not properly diagnosed, but it unfortunately, also hits a lot of kids. And when it's in the childhood form, it's often genetically caused. So when it was first diagnosed, the doctor said, "Oh, this—he you know, may never walk. He, he you know, he's going to become paralyzed." And here was an active eight-year-old kid who loved wow, to play tennis and terrifying. do all kinds of things. It was that moment where I kind of, you know, I was sucker punched, right? And I had been doing some of this other work in the institute. For a completely different reason and a completely different path but i was so maternally motivated i had to figure out how to help my son and as the doctors over the years kept putting drugs into him and telling us that this is as good as it's going to get i kept almost maybe rejecting it Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know it was i was stubborn Mm -hmm. but i also knew that there was just inconsistencies in the medical story that he could do things that he shouldn't been able to do according to the doctors so that's when i dove into the neuroscience and learned all this about the brain And when they collided, I said, oh, my God, I've got to quit my marketing stuff because it was good, but it wasn't really my purpose in life. And here we are talking about how to get people more confident.
1: And he's okay.
2: He's more better than okay. He's a tremendous tennis player. He's at the University of Vermont playing tennis, and he taught tennis all summer at a summer camp, and he's thriving, and he's he's awesome. He's awesome. They
1: say that the only thing that can trump competence – is confidence do you agree
2: absolutely absolutely think about all the competent people you know i mean like when i do some presentations i throw up a picture of tiger woods he's like the poster child right highly competent practices art he lost his confidence lost his game
1: in your experience in the corporate world you became very aware that women lacked confidence where does this come from and haven't things changed so that we're we're not teaching our daughters oh you can only be a nurse or a teacher or a homemaker yes. I told my daughter you can do whatever you want
2: oh look at you my friend like you do all these great things you're a great role model and I think it starts with that right it starts with our own confidence reflecting to the rest of the world, particularly our, you know, the people that we care about. It's an interesting case. Today. I have a client who I've been coaching. She suffers from this insecurity, and she walks into meetings kind of shaking almost. So we did something that it's miraculous what a difference. I said to her, put a picture of your daughter. She has this four-year-old daughter. Put it on your laptop because her laptop's going all over the, her, you know, with her to these meetings. She opens her laptop, and she sees her daughter. And I say, how would you want to show her how to act? And it almost transforms or maybe it's a persona, you know, almost an acting thing. But I think we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to our daughters and our sons to be our confident best.
1: There's a part of our brain that is responsible for our development of our values, our vision of what we want to be in this world, who we are. Tell us more about that. It's the pre...
2: The prefrontal cortex. I know it sounds very complicated, but it's the part right behind your forehead. It's this front part. It is not only the last part in the human brain to develop, as we talked before, 26. It is the last part of the human evolution of the brain. As we've gotten more progressive, it's gotten bigger and bigger and smarter and smarter. And it's what makes us human. And unfortunately, I don't think we use it to its not even close. I think, you know, we're just tapping into that. You know, one of the Things that I have this uh, bizarre attraction to is all these holistic uh, medical professionals that write about these case studies of how people have cured themselves through their, oh, yes. their own brains. Now, I we also do a lot of work with athletes, and we know that athletes, even like you know, biofeedback devices, they can sh- prove and show that they control their pulse and their everything through their brains. So, you know, I'm a big believer that we have so much potential in there that we haven't even tapped into. You've
1: also noticed that in members of the military, people who are in, you know, maybe a special forces soldiers or people like that who are in danger a lot, and they're able to control themselves, their
2: emotions, their feelings, their heart rate, their sweating, that kind of thing. Crazy, huh? You know, I was really honored. I was—I did a talk a couple months ago, and I, subsequently somebody was in that audience inviting me to talk to the U.S. Air Force and, you know, talk about... Having to put on the confidence suit, right? You know, it's I and I don't believe you can fake it till you make it. Just for the neither record. do I. Oh, good, Kenny, yay! Um, but needless to say, you know, so honored because they really the military, the athletes, some of these organizations have really mastered some of these techniques. Never understood why, and now we have the science to explain why, and that's really exciting. I think.
1: What happens to us in life also can affect our confidence, our self-esteem. So I know that you're also a coach. How do you help someone whose sense of self has been damaged? Maybe someone who was a victim of childhood abuse or trauma of some kind, and they lost their confidence, they lost their self-esteem, if they even had any.
2: I am also very much a believer you stick to your, to your knitting, Right. That kind of trauma is not something that I think any coach should even touch. You know, they need to see real professional help and needs to deal with mm. that in a very different way. The woman I described before and some of my other clients, they're damaged from work experiences, right? And that I can help them with because part of the understanding is under—is first knowing that it happens to everybody, that I have a group of very senior women that I'm working with right now. We, I do these peer group programs. And they're the most senior of senior. And let me tell you, they're as insecure and not confident as the rest of us. So first, knowing that. And I think the second thing is that we often assume that we've caused it or we can control other people. And when you let those things go and you realize, you know what, the only thing I can control is how I act and react. Can't even control your hair, right? But you can control the way you act and react. It's very empowering.
1: You are a dynamic public speaker. I've seen some of your speeches. What is your goal when you walk on that stage? You you say this is not motivational fluff.
2: <laughs> no. I...
1: Draw me a picture. <laughs>
2: Well, first of all, I I grew up in New York. I'm in New York and I live in Boston. You're you're not a Yankee fan, are you? I'm I'm neutral. I'm not going in any direction (laughs) there. But you know what? Here's the thing. Like, I'm a little cynical. Right. And I don't want people blowing stuff at me like you can do it. Like, you know, just get out of my face. Right. One of my qualifiers for my audience is that I like to speak to intellectually competitive people because they're the ones who are pushing themselves and they want to be smart and they want to be respected for their intelligence. And they get into a work environment and it's at worst, or a university. And you know, I speak at some of the best universities in the country. And the and you know, they're bonking heads literally with everybody around them. And then after a while, they get so tired, they get so beaten down that their confidence is shot. From my perspective, if I can give them the evidence that gets them over that hump that they can control and manage their confidence. And at the same time that this is just part of life, but part of life is learning how to not so much roll with the punches, but know what to do once you get punched that resilience and that persistence, I think that is the key to success.
1: Have you ever needed a dose of
2: confidence? Constantly. Go ask my husband. Oh, man. Ask my dog. He's my office mate. More than that, I'm like, today, just not today. But you know what? Here's the thing. I have a toolkit and I have a support network. And I also have a lot of knowledge at this point that when the lows hit, you know, even if it's a minute or a day or a month, I know that it'll pass. And I can use some of these tools and techniques to kind of bring me back to the next cycle.
1: You are also a guitarist and a vocalist. You sing with a band. Oh, no, she's going to make it. Come on now. Tell tell me about this part of your life.
2: This part of my life. So, oh, gosh, I studied guitar at a very young age, and I was really good and then gave it up like a lot of kids because my parents didn't make me do it, right? And then I met my husband, who was a decent guitarist at the time, since... The last couple of years, he's become incredible. And he actually makes guitars now, too, which is kind of cool. He kind of dosed me into playing over the years. And then my kids started becoming musical. And so we started singing together. And then people would say, you should perform. Is this so, a Von Trapp family experience we're well, about to have here? you know, we, we, we're, <laughs> my, my family name is Weinstein. So we call ourselves the Von Weinsteins, just just so you know. But um, no, in truth, is one of the things that we love to do is there's oftentimes opportunities for fundraisers where we can go and play and um raise money for causes that really mean a lot to us. And, you know, it's just awesome. I love it.
1: Looking back through the rear view mirror on a career that continues to unfold for you, what are you most proud of?
2: You know, I mean, I could give you the easy answers, right? I could I could talk about my family. I could talk about the research. I think I'm most proud about becoming confident and understanding it enough that I can help other people well before I'm 60. Because that is a gift. And, you know, you asked me about mindfulness before. I think we all race through life, particularly if you're New Englanders or New Yorkers or, you know, intellectually competitive. We're racing through life. I'm just so grateful that I was mindful enough at the time to realize that there was something really juicy and great and important here. And when people say, what's my why, you know, we all want to have an impact. We call it purpose or we call it whatever. We all want to have impact. There's nothing greater than getting off a stage or getting off a call with a client or whatever the format is and having people go, you just made me feel whole again. Like, That's pretty nice. Where else can you do that in life, right?
1: Who has been your role model?
2: Oh, I've had many. I've had many in both men and women, I will say. You know, I have one of my best friends is Brazilian. I joke with him all the time because he was kind of like a tough love mentor, really tough love mentor. And I hated him at times, right? But one of the things that I really appreciate is when people are honest. I, You know, I think, and you have probably had this experience more than any human being I personally know, you get off the stage and everyone's like, oh, that was great. That was great. Nobody's going to tell you you suck, right? <laughs> but the people that will come up into you and say, you know, I really loved when you did X or, you know, I didn't really like that, that kind of tough love or complimentary um, reality, whatever you want to call it, I've really appreciated that. So anytime somebody does that, I often um, wind up being their best friend because I want to ask them more. I want them to talk to me. And I, I love those relationships. So I have a lot of people who have been gracious like that.
1: Adversity is a great teacher. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around
2: it? Uh, I kick its ass, of course. <laughs> uh, you know, I sometimes you don't even know it's an obstacle, right? You just think it's part of the process and you look back and you're like, man, that was just a ton of wasted time and energy. But I think, you know, when I know that it's literally an obstacle, I'll look to see if there's another way to get around it, you know, or if I'm meant to really kick its ass and learn from that obstacle. Because I think sometimes those are the speed bumps of life that we aren't mindful about and they can be the most rewarding, right? You get through that obstacle and you go, oh, I can do anything, right?
1: Success means different things to different people and I think our definition of it changes throughout the course of our lives. Right now, where you are sitting across from me, what does success mean to you
0: right now?
2: Very simply, when I go to bed every night, I'm going to look back and say, I gave something to the world that was of value. And it can be anything. It could be that something I did for my kids, something I did for a friend, something I did for a podcast community. Something that I did wasn't a wasted day.
1: Alyssa DeVere, I want to say thank you so much for being my guest today on The Story Behind Her Success. Best of luck to you in your work. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, candyoterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?